Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. I've been thinking a lot about my spiritual origin story because we've been talking about sort of our early religious lives and uh, how we came to Zen and all that stuff. And what I have realized is that it obviously goes back even further in my life than just, you know, conscious moments of religious experiences as a teenager or intellectual thoughts about the universe and how it works and what it is and where it comes from and all of that stuff. Uh, because I can remember having thoughts and feelings about that kind of thing as far back as I can remember anything. And uh, along with that, certain perceptual things that just seemed too strange to explain, you know, just like illusions and, you know, visual experiences and dreams and things things that were just just so bizarre that they shook me out of any kind of sense that the world I lived in was exactly the way it seemed like I always knew there was something something going on here and I feel like there were a few key experiences in childhood um not like specific a lot of people that I've talked to have had had moments when they were a child where something strange happened to them and it changed their lives. It's not like I can remember anything like that. I just always remember, you know, playing with perspective of like having one eye open and then switching to the other eye and like seeing how the world looked different and just never really believing what it felt like my senses were supposed to be telling me. Uh, and, and And that was where it all began for me, knowing that there was more to this life than it seemed. And I was wondering if that's what it was like for you too. I mean, absolutely. Children are so perceptive. Um, you know, they kind of have that, uh, Zen mind, beginner's mind. Oh yeah. Uh, they don't, we haven't, you know, quite been able to indoctrinate them with all the ways of how we believe the universe works and mm-hmm. how you are supposed to perceive things or an explanation for that. So I feel like, as a kid, I definitely uh, questioned a lot more things. And uh, well, I guess I continued to as an adult, but uh, for sure, I, I do know what you're talking about. Are there specifics, specific things that you remember from very early ages? Yeah. So the earliest experience like this, I can remember at least. I'm sure there were more before that. But, you know, my uncle liked to uh, tickle me and my brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was fun, but I thought about it one day. I was just thinking, I was probably like four years old. um, And I thought to myself, well, why does someone like, you know, tickling you make you laugh? It's not funny. Mm -hmm. Like he's not telling you a joke. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't figure out why that would make me laugh. And I was like, okay, well, how about this? Next time someone tickles me. I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> and guess what, John? I'm not ticklish. That one situation where I decided I didn't actually have to laugh because someone was tickling me made me go through my entire life where I just wasn't ticklish until one day I decided, well, maybe tickling's fun. Maybe it's okay if I laugh when I'm being tickled. 
just for funsies. <laughs> and what age was that? Uh, this age. Oh, like just like recently. <laughs> yeah. And now you can be tickled again. I can be tickled again. Yeah. So did this establish some kind of sense that you're in control of your mind and perception or something? Was that like an early Zen experience? I feel like, yeah. I mean, just just me being able to question, you know, something that I experienced, mm-hmm. you know, not taking it just at face value mm-hmm. and wondering why that thing happened the way it is and experimenting with that. Hmm. So uh, how about I share one, you share one. Let me hear one of your stories. Well, the, the, the one I always come back to is a dream that I had. I love dreams. That really got me on a whole dream thing that lasted for a really long time. I'm talking about it in the past tense because while I would probably still identify as someone who is really into dreams, like I haven't, I haven't had a great dream in a long time and I don't really know what that's about and it i mean of course for the last couple of years i haven't really slept <laughs> well that probably has and, something to do with it then yeah uh and like i have no idea what would happen to my brain if if i got you know like 10 hours of sleep without being woken up that right. like i don't know what that would do to me anymore uh, i'm sorry but but well no it's okay it's worth it but but also I'm not even sure that was that was it. I'm not. I, it might have. It might have kind of died down before then. When I like my early twenties were really the most active uh, and intense dream period of uh, my life, and I was writing them down all the time. And I have all these journals of these crazy dreams. But but all of that interest was sparked very young, and I had this dream uh, when I was. I could. I must have been like five years old. There are details about you know the 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 tape that i was listening to when i went to bed that like you know there's a, there's cir- there's circumstances that make me think it was 5 years old but i kind of i kind of can't believe that i remember something that happened when i was 5 as vividly as i remember oh, this oh i remember things from when i was very very young and i will tell my mom the stories and mm. she'll say yeah you were 2 years old Whoa. so i think we can remember things just bits and pieces you know what i mean yeah well and then this was very existentially significant this dream and and it had to do with a tape that i listened to when i was falling asleep my parents uh i asked them about this not that long ago because we were trying to figure out what to do with our little kid uh when there was just one of them uh as far as as sound like giving her a good sound environment when she was going to sleep mm-hmm. and, and i kind of remember that they had me listening to stuff from very very early music and not books, like stories, stories with sound effects and stuff on tape. And and I, I remember like flipping the tape over to the other side myself from a very early age. Um, so I was, so there was this, there was this, this theatrical auditory experience in my, in my going to, to sleep that surely contributed to the kind of vividness and intensity and, and drama of the dreams I was having. And the dream that I remember was definitely connected to a story on one of these tapes. And it may have been that I was listening to that story when I fell asleep, or it may just have been in my mind when I went to sleep because I listened to it all the time. But the story was a man and a woman, uh, they were scientists, and they were driving into the jungle 
to look for dinosaurs and they heard a big dinosaur stomping and roaring in the distance and they you know in the tape they said let's get out of here and they drove away and the dinosaur roars and that's sort of the end of the scene but i remember seeing it vividly and kind of realizing wow i can i can see it like it's not just it's not just sound now it's like that you know i can see the jungle and i can see the scientists and i can see the 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 jeep that they're driving in and then i heard the dinosaur you know stomping and roaring in the distance and i i i knew how it was going to go so i didn't get scared and then the the part where they say let's get out of here didn't happen and the dinosaur was getting closer and closer <laughs> and i then i saw it i saw it i saw it like crash through the trees and rear its head up and you know roar and make this big like dive for the jeep and i got terrified and i woke up and you know i don't remember if we got eaten or what but like it it definitely woke me up and i went downstairs to my parents bedroom and i told them that this happened and they said you had a nightmare it's okay don't worry go to sleep i went back up i went to sleep and i had the dream again exactly the same as the first time it starts over all over again oh no and and i my memory is that it happened like five times like over and over and over and over and over again in this one night did you have a fever i don't i don't think i did i because i because i interacted with my parents in a pretty normal way and you know like i i feel like the story wouldn't have gone the way it had if i had been sick you know like like they sent me back upstairs and i went back to sleep i mean i don't i don't think i i went back to them every time i think i just woke up terrified and and you know and went back to sleep the best i could and then I, I don't know. I don't know how well I slept the rest of the night, but I definitely had this sense that that the that my mind, like some, it taught me something about my mind. You know, like I knew mm-hmm. after the third time that this was happening again. I wasn't just having the same experience fresh over and over again. I was like, oh man, it's happening again. And by the end of that experience, I was pretty sure that there's something just truly bizarre about the mind not that i had the word mind to apply to what it was i just i just knew there was stuff happening in my head that was not real yeah but felt real but also was not really that obviously less real than what was normally happening you know like it it gave me some safety and distance from my mind because i knew that i could have the dream about the dinosaur over and over again and it wouldn't ever actually eat me but i think it also was responsible for me realizing that everything is kind of dreamlike and that everyday experience has the same surreal quality as this dream had and i noticed my dreams a lot more ever since then but I think the effect it had on me while I was awake was just as profound. And I was super young to have that experience, I feel like. I mean, it sounds kind of scary, honestly. Like, to feel like, oh, I'm going to go to sleep. I might have this dream again. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I remember being sure I was going to have it again. I Like, I thought I was going to have it again every time I went to sleep for the rest of my life, you know? Like, it, it just, yeah. it was what happened when I went to sleep at that point. But obviously that that didn't happen, but... 
I think I think the way it left me, and maybe it's maybe it's not unusual for kids at that age to have the, these kinds of experiences of the limits of their psyche and their imagination and all this, you know, Jungian stuff going on. But I, it definitely left me with the impression that consciousness was weird. And consciousness it, is weird. Never recovered <laughs> from that. It just got weirder and weirder after that. Yeah. I, I mean, I also have a very strange, ex- strange relationship with dreams because I am such a vivid dreamer. Mm. Um, and sometimes uh, my dreams appear even after I wake up. So, Ooh. yeah, that's um, that only started when when I was 19 and I just started like having like these experiences where I'd wake up, but I would still see something from dreamland but it was like in my room but maybe that that's just another thing because i don't think that really helped me like come to the conclusion as a child that things were very strange and Mm. not as they seemed but it definitely as an adult realizing that i'm still going to experience strange things like that but as far as dreaming when i was a kid i think something that was profound for me was when i i was very young and i lucid Uh, I had a lucid dream for the first time Mm -hmm. and I remember because a lot of my dreams um, are overcast like most of them are overcast so that's one clue that I know if it's dreaming although you know in real life it's overcast a lot too so it's Uh (laughs) not always Um, but yeah this dream was overcast and I was in my neighborhood and there was a bunch of neighbors I didn't know but they were all very friendly and I was going to talk to them and because I realized it was a dream and I know I was around five years old because of the house I lived in in the neighborhood I was in. Yeah. I told one of the dream people, I said, did you know that this was a dream? <laughs> and she did not believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like not a real person, not a person that you no. knew from real life. Wow. No. <laughs> but I, but yeah, after that, I'm like, you can control your dreams. And that's that's kind of like the theme, right? Like, we're realizing as kids that like you have some sort of control over your perception of things. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? Because it's not you realize that you have some amount of agency or control as a conscious being, but you also are realizing it because the world you think you live in is kind of unreal. So you know, I, I think I think that that could be unsettling to some people. I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think it probably explains a lot about, you know, people's materialistic or religious impulses that they're they're unsettled by the 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 intangibility or ephemerality of life, and they're clinging to life, you know, however they can, or and, you know whether it's life in this world or you know life in the next world, and that never ever was a problem for me. I mean, there's there's kind of we haven't even we haven't said the word death yet. We may not have said the word death on this podcast yet, for all I can tell. But but like there there was definitely that layer of it for me, like death awareness of death or consciousness of death was definitely intertwined with these feelings from a very early age with these dreams. And the I mean, you know, the dinosaur was going to eat us and kill us. Like that was what the dream was about, and it definitely led to more sophisticated sort of fear of death kinds of thought, if not dreams, like thoughts in the middle of the night. 
I, I there there I made a list not that long ago that I could actually pull up uh, of of the recurring dreams that I've had all through my life, and you know none of them are that surprising. None of them are none of them are. They're probably most people's or most Americans, you know, typical recurring dreams. But you know I've have had dreams about nuclear bombs as long as I can remember. I've wow. had I've had dreams about big storms as long as I can remember, and. You know, clearly it's all connected to death and awareness of death or awareness of mortality. But this the paradox is it it's not like I was becoming terrified to die at that time. Mm-hmm. It was much much more um well, it was much it was it was a kind of a beautiful experience. It was it was a liberating experience to kind of realize that life and death and aliveness itself are not it's not this it's not real it's not it's not all the way real or like there there's no there's no of course it's real it's all that i mean if real means anything it means this life that we have but 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 it was it wasn't this fine line it wasn't this clear boundary and that whatever happened on either side has a little bit of the other side in it. it it's not it's not like it, it never it, it I, I never really saw death as this lights out thing that materialist thinkers tend to think of it as you know it 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 always seemed like there was something of the of the world beyond in the world we're in oh and and that's that's what that's what the dream that's why the dreams had such a death flavor i think and also why i wasn't scared despite that people talk about death as a fear that haunts them through their days uh-huh. or, or or as something they never want to think about that they try to block out and keep out of their mind and and so many people even in, in so many people in spiritual scenes like you know not unlike the one that you and i hang out in so many people in those kinds of scenes are make it a thing of theirs, like a campaign of theirs to be like, don't forget death. Death is the great matter. We have to remember that we're mortal and death is certain. And we have to, we're preparing ourselves to die at any time. And that's what our meditation practice is for and whatever. And it's never really seemed that hard to do for me, but, or maybe to put it another way, death has never been that far from my mind as long as I can remember, because it's always just been obvious to me and you see it around you see squirrels and birds and you know you see death even on a good day in a prosperous lucky country you see death all over the place and and it's it's just been something i've noticed ever since i was little and it kind of helps me keep life in perspective and I'm trying to call back to something I said a few minutes ago about certain kinds of people like other, like lots of people have great fear of death, but some people don't. And I feel like that has something to do with why I do the practice that I do now, the practice that we do now. And it's not uncommon in Zen circles for people to say Zazen is practice for death or zazen is death like you have to die on the cushion i think you said those exact words in one of these conversations (laughs) and i've always taken that very literally and seriously and i also have experienced it and i've not and and it 
it isn't it goes away you know i come back to life and this body and what have you but but it's always right there for me and i don't know whether it's a kind of person that i am or a capacity that i've developed through all these experiences that i have to just be able to deal with death but i want to hear if you connect with any of that and if you and if and how how death features into these kinds of experiences for you well i feel like what's scarier to me than death is uh time passing hmm. so another thing that i did when i was little um and i would do this a lot because it just blew my mind you know i would i would stand there and go okay I'm going to take one step. But when I take one step, that will be the future. And that hasn't happened yet. But once I take that step, this moment will then be the past. Mm -hmm. And I would do that. And then I would be like, oh, I'm in the future moment. And I'm like, wait, this isn't the future moment. It's now this moment. <laughs> and I would do that over and over and over again. And this... <sighs> This is exactly what I wanted to talk about. You are such a Buddhist kid. Come on. Sometimes I take a step and I just feel like five years have passed. <laughs> Whoa. And I don't, you know, and that's the thing that I feel like I want to practice uh, is to, you know, not be afraid of the passage of time. Um, and, you know, of course, when we're learning to be in the in the moment and enjoying every experience as it comes and we won't have to sit there and be like uh you know now is the present but then mm -hmm. it'll be the future when i step over here <laughs> definitely the death itself i mean i think that's gonna be so quick unless you just think that the passage of time is just you dying until the moment you are actually dead uh -huh. <laughs> then i right. guess it lasts yeah. for a really long time you start time. dying at the beginning yeah <laughs> yeah well, but what the the fear, I want to hear more about the fear that you're describing because you, what you described to me just now was facing the fear or really stepping into it, experiencing that passage of time. When I was younger, I don't think I was afraid of it. In fact, like when you're a kid, it's like kind of exciting. You're like, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a grown up. Uh -huh. And then, then you get to do things when you're a grown up. Yeah. Whatever those are, I can't wait to do them. You don't get to just, yeah, I know, right? I'm still waiting <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get to meditate at least. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so I get, so I get there. I'm an adult now, mm -hmm. and uh, it just keeps going. That's not mm -hmm. the stopping part. <laughs> <laughs> but what are you scared now? Are you more scared now than you were before about that passage of time? Does it feel like it's getting shorter? Yeah. Like each day mm. is shorter than the last day. Mm. Why are you scared? What are you scared of? I don't know. I just think that like maybe my my illness gets worse or something as mm. time goes on. Like when you get old, you get arthritis and then you get like, uh, you know, it might get harder and harder as they get older. Mm. It's like I'm nearly 30 now and I feel like this is probably the best I'm ever going to feel. And that's still a lot of pain. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm I'm over 30. And I'll tell you, I have started to hurt myself in really interesting ways <laughs> recently. Uh, and that is 
kind of upsetting. But, well, the thing you described about taking one step and feeling like five years have passed, that usually feels like a good feeling to me. Really? Please explain yeah. more. And and it's it's because I feel like I have all the time in the world if one step can last that long and maybe i'm talking about a different feeling from what you're what you're talking about like like because i can now i can imagine that feeling like the time disappeared like you lost the time in that step is that is that what you mean when you say five years have passed like, well oh, it's, God, it's, it's just like going a lot faster than i would i hope that they would mm -hmm. well because i have these moments it happens a lot in kinhin and walking meditation mm -hmm. where I will feel like, you know, I'll sit in Zazen and the time, I'll know exactly the amount of time that I'm going to be sitting. So there's always this consciousness of like, this interval of time is 50 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And that can feel like such a long time. It can. Right? And so there, there is a feeling during in sitting where I'm like, this feels like an eternity, but it's only 50 minutes. And I just need to hang in there because I know I'm not going to like die of thirst sitting here. Like it's, it's only, it's only, it's less than one hour. So just hang in there. And then I move into walking and the, just that bare amount of movement, even though the steps, I mean, the steps are very slow and very long but moving so much more than I was moving before, it feels like so much is happening. And the amount of time I'm doing that for is only 10 minutes. But it feels like because of the contrast, I guess, yeah. with the Zazen, so much feels like it's packed into, that, into those steps that they feel like these huge expanses of time in, the, in a different way, in this, in this sort of liberated way where I can do so much and experience so much and only one step will have taken place. And I guess it's familiarizing me with that feeling enough to, in moments where I feel like, oh, wow, I'm 33. Like my kid that was born yesterday is two years old and talking now. Like, you know, th there, are, there are these accelerating moments like you're talking about where mm -hmm. I can start to get a little bit where is the time going? But then I realized that the amount of time between me having this thought and me, you know, putting down the glass of water that I'm sipping from while I'm having this thought, like all this stuff is happening. Yeah. And and I feel relief that there's so there's that that time time isn't this fixed quantity from the point of view of experience. It's got so much it's got as much to in it as you can bring to it so i don't know sometimes i also feel like I've, like five years have passed when i've taken a step but then i guess what i realize is it hasn't actually it feels like five years but but really only one moment has passed and that's a relief i mean there's hope for you know it to sort of return to that childlike state of of mind if knowing that the the perception of time the way we perceive it is is not necessarily how it is in truth and that you know again like when you're on when you're meditating it can feel like a one minute can feel like a very very long time especially mm -hmm. when i know when the bells is coming i'm yeah. like i can tell the bells about to ring 
Yes. And it should only be like a minute away, but that minute mm-hmm. felt probably like you know, at least five minutes. You know. yes. It's the worst. <laughs> when you hear when you hear somebody shuffling and you know that the the bell's gonna come, but yeah. you don't know exactly when. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But maybe I don't really want time to pass like that. Like that sounds a little excruciating. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean in, in, in my adult years I'm actually like having uh, more fun and I'm less afraid in general than I than I was as a child or a young adult. Uh, but it does seem like time is going by a whole lot faster. Mm. You you were so perceptive about the subjectivity of time in that description of you as a kid, right? That was yeah. that was a, ki- a childhood thing of like taking the, the next step will be in the future type of thing right i'm surprised to put that together with the with the i don't want to burden you with the word anxiety but like the 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 concern about the passage of time because i find that to be such a playful scene or description like you were playing with time you were time traveling well you know i don't think we're always like necessarily progressing i think sometimes the things that we thought as a kid in the beginning were the right things Hmm. and we somehow lost it within the constraints of society or whatever else we've been taught along the way and Hmm. i mean i think it's the same with zen we're trying to return to a state that that already is and in some ways i'm already i'm still that person but have gained some anxieties along the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when you're on the cushion, though, is what's is is the experience that you're having. Would it be familiar to yourself as a child? Would you had you already? Are you seeing and feeling and going through something that you had already seen? Yeah. And that kid that was doing the time traveling and the lucid dreaming. Did that kid know this experience in some way already? Absolutely, 100%. Because that's like the only thing I'm sure of about this practice and why it's my practice is is that it's all it always has been. And and that's that's what I was getting at with this with this kinds of people thing. It's just like other people's practices are different from this, but this this practice of Zen is something that I did by accident before I even was conscious of doing it and it was and it has it's a quality to my life that has always been there and i mean i i guess i know what you mean like all of the adult struggles of life have built themselves up around this thing that was unburdened when i first did it it was unburdened with any kind of concern about the future or anybody else or you know, even even responsibility of any kind. Like I was completely free to be a kid. And I mean, even that is a privilege. I completely understand that. But like as as the burdens of life have like shifted onto my shoulders, it has become harder to be that kid mm-hmm. in a, a really serious way. But the practice that I do is is a practice of protecting that kid yeah and strengthening myself around him so that he can stay who he is me too sometimes i i have to start doing things just to do them 
because that's what I did as a kid. I enjoyed doing a lot of things. I I wrote a chapter book in fifth grade, you know, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. I wanted to. No one read mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think my friend read it. Uh, it was really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did those things just for fun. You know, I, I drew all these comic books, spent hours and hours on it. And I did it for money as an adult. Mm-hmm. I drew a comic book and it was so hard. Mm-hmm. And it was so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is not what I was doing as a kid. Yeah. And it just, it, you know, that, that moment where I was doing the same thing that I was doing as a kid, but doing it for gain, mm. I, I realized that I need to start doing things because I want to do them and just for the sake of doing them and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm always trying to get back to, just that ex- exploration and just, you know, being here existing I, I couldn't think of a more succinct description of zazen than the one you just gave yeah and that's why that's why i like it so much even though in the moment i might not like it so much <laughs> <laughs> right right but you know there's you with all those burdens and then there's you the little kid who's always there just doing what she wants drawing comic books or whatever I mean, this is this is like the the trickiest thing about this no self idea, which is obviously way more complicated than there is no self in Buddhism. Very little Zen text about the self actually talks about the self that way, but it talks about small self and big self. And, you know, small self might be uncomfortable sitting there on the floor, but like big self has always been just being itself. Oh, I like I like how our big self was our was our small self. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The small self is the the small self is the grown up. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at aszc.org. Our sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gasho.